and welcome to our NC Talks podcast. Today, I talk to the renowned neuroscientist Michael Merzenich, a professor emeritus of the University of California, San Francisco, following his recent receipt of the Kavli Prize for Neuroscience. Dr. Merzenich earned his bachelor's degree at the University of Portland and his PhD at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland. He then completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Wisconsin in Madison before becoming a professor at the University of California, San Francisco, where he retired as Francis A. Soy Professor and co-director of the Keck Center for Integrative Neuroscience in 2007. He was elected to the National Academy of Sciences in 1999 and the Institute of Medicine in 2008. Dr. Merzenich has been a leader in the field of brain plasticity for the past few decades, defining the critical period of child development and adult plasticity, as well as being instrumental in the development of multiple brain training programmes. In this NZ Talks podcast, Dr. Merzenich tells us more about the history and progression of the field of brain plasticity, and we discuss the clinical implications for brain training programmes. Briefly, how would you even begin to design the programs um, which can bring about these kinds of changes? Where do you start? It's a great question. Of course, we, one of the great wonderful things about contemporary neurology and neuroscience is that we have so much information about how the brain has been distorted in different classes of cl- in different clinical indications. And we can also, in a, in a, in a increasingly powerful uh, variety of ways, we can also look in an individual and actually document individuated distortions in the, in the neurology of the person in front of us. So we, our starting point is always the behavioral and the neurological, the, the, a description of the behavioral and neurological distortions that apply to the clinical class. That's our starting point. And then we in, increasingly are trying to think about how we can specifically calibrate the distortions in the individual in front of us who is a member of that clinical class. And, and, and then differentiate the training so that we're correcting the things that apply specifically to the class, or you could say generally to the class, but specifically to that individual. So basically that's the approach that we're, we're, we're taking. Great. So um, what is one of the most striking examples of the effects of neuroplasticity you've seen in the clinic? There, there, there are many, many of these. So we see people that are insane, that are schizophrenic or deeply depressed, that are, that are uh, you know, not so many weeks later aren't. We see people that are that are, that have very very substantial deficits that come from a traumatic brain injury or concussion or whatever that very very rapidly recover beyond what anybody has seen with any other treatment form. And we've seen people with 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 a rich variety of conditions that leave them embarrassed in their operational characteristics. Uh, people that have suffered from brain infections, let's say from HIV/AIDS, or from from uh, from other infect- infections that have invaded the brain, who are very incompetent and very limited in their performance. That after a period of training are remarkably normal. We see individuals that are that are a captive of a clear progression of senility in in mild cognitive impairment, a pre-senile condition that are relatively remarkably restored to normalcy and go back to work and are have a happy life. So there are many many anecdotal examples like this. Uh, of course, the the true science 
uh, has to be de defined in terms of, of population studies and controlled uh, settings and statistics. Mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, and so in every one of these pop populations, we see the dramatic examples. You know, of course, the, uh, the expected outcome is never as good as the best example. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so looking forward a little bit, what else do you think we still need to understand about neuroplasticity? Well, one of the things that we're trying to do now, and one of the things I'm really excited about now, and I'm working with uh, a, a wonderful uh, neurologist at, uh, at, at McGill University in, in Montreal, Etienne de Villas-Sedani is his name, uh, is to try to understand and to document how brain training extends to the uh, what's called the neurovascular unit in the brain. So one of the recent uh, discoveries we have is, is that we can, when we train the brain and we improve its functional capacities, I said we improve these more than 20 physical and functional characteristics. I mean, well, one of the things we begin to look at is the neurovascular unit. So-called blood-brain barrier is an, is an aspect of that. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a long history of, of, of appreciation of the fact that in many neurological conditions, diseases, the neurovascular unit is compromised or altered. And in fact, many people think of a uh, substantial body of neurological illnesses coming from the vascular side and not the brain side. But we now see that, in fact, the neurovascular unit is plastic. And we now see that we can actually control its resilience, that we can manipulate it by training. So I'm, we're very excited about this class of studies. We're rapidly extending these studies into human populations because we think it has major medical neurological implications uh, and, and, uh, and will have very strong, will extend to very strong human uh, medical benefit. Uh, but there are many, many th ways in which we're trying to understand, we're trying to demonstrate uh, one of the other really important things is how to demonstrate how these, this generalization of effect is, is achieved. So one of the really remarkable things that we see is that when we train in a mode, train very intensely in the appropriate way, it takes specific forms of training, in the listening and language mode or in the visual mode, could be either, we see very strong generalization of impact in, in, in basic characteristics of the operational brain that relate to its health. So, for example, when we train at speed and we recover processing speed by training in vision, we actually see that extend to audition and somesthesis. And we also see a whole series of neurological changes that account for that generalization in the brain. We don't actually understand completely how the generalization itself is achieved. So we have we have serious sort of mechanistic problems that we're trying to understand, and 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 we think that with that understanding could enlighten us with respect to uh, to helping us find those sort of magic bullets that can drive everything correctively more effectively. Mm -hmm. And the other really interesting question in our minds, Alice, is that when we train a, a brain in a in a in a mode very intensely, we see these twenty or so things change together. And the question is, what is controlling this, this sort of integrated change? This involves changes in the expression of hundreds, maybe several thousand genes, and they're all changing together. Mm-hmm. So we don't understand exactly how all of this change is being, in a sense, whether there is a master controller or whether there's some other, there's some elemental aspect of the signaling in the brain that's that, that's basically uh, coordinating all of this, you could say, uh, incredibly complex change. 
And, 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 and whatever it is, it, again, it represents potentially a secret, the, the screw secret sauce, you know, the, the master strategy for driving corrections and brains with greatest faculty and completeness. So there, there are really exciting questions that are still open to us, so these are just a few of them. Yeah. Uh, of course, on the other hard side, we're, basically what we're trying to do as fast as we can, as effectively as we can, is to just drive this into the world to try to get this out to these different clinical populations in need. And, and once it's out there, one of the values of training in these strategies is that we can relatively rapidly improve them by, by basically involving every patient that's, that's, uh, that, that it's applied to in a clinical population as a member of a, of a very large trial. But ultimately, which ultimately all of them are participants. So it's just to get this to people and try to get these forms of help to people so that we can, they can get the benefits of the science. Great. So just to finish off, is there anything which you think general population, um, healthy individuals should be doing to maintain their brain functioning? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and the answer is, of course. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've written a book about this, Alice, and, and, it's, and it's written for uh, sort of an informed layperson. The book is called Softwired. It's, it's really meant to give a person a, an explanation about their plastic neurology and then advice about how they might think about it from the point of view of how they live their life. Uh, because the brain does require exercise, and it requires it in certain forms. And there are many aspects of how we live a modern life that, that violate what it needs or do not provide it with what it needs or not completely or fully what, what it's asking us to, to give it. And, uh, and if you led your life, you could say, to the advantage of your brain, then uh, you're, you're, you, you, you wouldn't have to worry about so much about frailty and about the limitations or the collapse into senility or something else horrible happening late in life. You know, a way to think about it, Alice, is, is that every day you have the capacity to be a little stronger, a little more neurologically capable, a little more neurologically healthy as a function of how you engage your brain in that day. Okay. And certainly across the course of a month or a year or 10 years, you have the capacity to drive large-scale changes mm -hmm. that relate to the quality of your life and how much you get out of your life in your time on the planet. And, and uh, so this science basically is important for everyone on the planet. And uh, if they could just understand it, and ultimately they will, you know, not too many years in the future, we will understand what our brain is asking of us, and we will live our lives much more with a much deeper consideration, practical consideration of what it's asking us to do. And uh, But in the meantime, you know, you can go to the computer and you can go to a, a site like one of the, the site that we have that's, uh, that's available for the wider public, and that's brainhq.com, and you can exercise your brain, and you can relatively rapidly restore its functional capacities in a way that can make a substantial difference to you. It turns out that you can take an individual at 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, and you can train them in a way that drives their speed of processing back to the level of someone in the middle of life or even to a young life. And, and, and it, so that's a, it's a completely recoverable ability. So you absolutely should be paying attention to <laughs> how you're engaging your brain, what it, what it needs.